Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. by thanking Pastor Joel uh, for, for the honor of, of delivering this message, sir. And um, I, I said the first service, I give him honor uh, because there, there are some pastors, many in, this, many in Dallas, who don't want their congregation to hear this message. Um, it's part of a massive deception uh, that, that began a long, long time ago uh, and benefits those who, who wish to, to, keep it in, to keep it hidden. Uh, and so that's what we're going to uh, we're gonna talk about today. Let me give you two terms before we start. A revelation is revealing something that's hidden. It's, it's unveiling something that was veiled. The reason God gives revelation Paul said that God wants to transform us through the renewing of our minds. God wants to transform us, take us to that next level that pastor's talking about. And he does it through the renewing of our minds. And that's a funny way of saying, change the way we think. God wants to transform us, take us to that next level by changing the way we think, giving us a new mindset. Satan, Jesus said, is a liar. He's the father of all lies, which means all lies begin with him. But he's also the great deceiver. And a deception is the worst kind of lie because a deception is a lie that is hidden from you. And so revelation, which uncovers hidden things, often uncovers a hidden lie. And that's what we want to do today. The reason God wants to uncover this hidden lie is to change the way you think. And in particular, change the way you think about women and change the way you think about marriage. Because there's been a massive deception, a lie that has been hidden from us that God uncovered with Jesus, <laughs> but somehow got covered back up. And so that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about today. Is there, is there any doubt in anyone's mind that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is under serious attack in this country? And a lot of people would say, uh, it's never been this bad. I would disagree because this, this is a, an attack that began in the beginning. And when I say in the beginning, I mean the book of Genesis in the beginning. It goes that far back. It is an attack being waged by an enemy who is hell-bent on destroying the marriage relationship that God instituted between a man and a woman, and this morning we're going to examine why. Remember, this is all about a deception, a hidden lie 
that is designed to destroy what God intended when he brought man and woman together. Okay? So, if you'll bring up the, uh, the first slide, please, sir, if it's there. Um, this is about the curse. And my message today is stronger than the curse. We are stronger than the curse. The challenge is we spend so much time. This is, there's something we don't understand. We, we miss this hidden lie because we spend so much time, ladies and gentlemen, focused on what Adam said about the woman that we don't focus on what God said about the woman. And what, what they said about the woman, these two, these two entities are 180 degrees apart. When Adam saw Eve, he said, oh, finally, someone who looks like me and not one of these creatures. She's flesh of my flesh. She's bone of my bones. She, she, I'm going to call her woman because she was taken from man. And I know she was taken from man because I got the scar right here to prove it. The Bible says God went inside, formed an operation, took him, took a rib from his side. There's, there's a lot of symbols, uh, imagery here. She didn't take him, she didn't take a bone from his head so that she'd rule over him. And she didn't take a bone from his foot so she'd rule be under him. God took a bone from his side so that she would be side by side his equal. Even that imagery, God was trying to tell us, tell us something. But that's all Adam focused on. Adam saw the physical woman. He, 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 he drew pleasure from what he saw with his eyes. He was thinking, with, he was speaking from the flesh. But when God spoke about woman, he was speaking from the spirit. Two very, very different things. God said one thing about her. Adam said something completely different. And we focus and we preach and we build churches on what he said and not what God said. And that's why the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is so easy for Satan to come in and wreck because it's not built on the right foundation. It's built on a hidden lie. That's what we want to, uh, we want to talk about today. So it begins with asking the right question. And, and it's focused on what God did and did not say about the woman. I think you all know this passage. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Full stop. That's a staggering statement because up to this time, everything God has done has been perfection. He made the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars, and he said, it's good. Then he made the earth, said it's good. Then he made clouds and skies and mountains and valleys and said it's good. And then he put fish in the sea, and he put birds in the skies, and he put animals all on the earth and said it's good. And then he got his hands dirty. He got down into the dirt, and he formed this creature in his own image who would look like him. And he blew into him the breath of life and stood him up and said, go take dominion. Go take care of this garden. That's what happened. But God looked at this and said, 
it's not good that this man is alone. He's standing right here. He's alone. Why is this a problem? So if you want to know why God thought this was a problem, you have to look with understanding at what his solution was. Let me give you an example. If I'm the general manager for the Dallas Cowboys, oh, wouldn't we want to do, be that? <laughs> Just for a day. And I'm looking out at the Cowboys play, and I say, huh, this is not good. And then the next day, I turn around and I go draft two quarterbacks. What does that tell you I think the problem is? Quarterback. So I see God sees Adam by himself, and then he says this is a problem. Why? He didn't say he's lonely. He said he's alone. Lonely and alone are two different things. Lonely is, is an emotional feeling. Alone is a physical state. Ladies and gentlemen, there are plenty of people at Christmas who are surrounded by their loved ones and are lonely. So he, he didn't say he's lonely. He said he's alone. Well, what's wrong with him being alone? And so we look at the passage and, and we, start, we start to realize, oh, it's not up there, okay. Uh, <laughs> we look at the passage and we start to realize, here's what God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a blank. And we have filled that blank with a number of things. I've, I've, I've heard it say, I will make for him a helper comparable for him. I will make for him a helper suitable for him, uh, whatever that means. Um, I will make for him a helpmate. Uh, and helpmate is an interesting word. So I went into the, uh, I went into the dictionary uh, and, and I, I, I looked at what, it's, what it said about a helpmate. And I want to read it to you so we're all on the same page. Here's what a helpmate is. A helpful companion or partner, especially one's husband or wife. And words that can be exchanged with helpmate are companion, partner, associate, assistant, helper, and helpmeet. The key to understanding this, ladies and gentlemen, is to look back into the Hebrew. If I want to know what God really said, I need to look back at the Hebrew, not English. Because English is, it's not the greatest language. I'll just say that, okay? Uh, think, think of this. There's a brush which is an object you hold in your hand. It's a noun. Then you brush your hair. Same word, same spelling, same pronunciation. Now all of a sudden it's a verb. And then I can brush lint off my, off my shoulder. Third reason, a third definition. Or I could have a brush with death. One word said the same, spelled the same, four totally different meanings. You don't see that in other languages. In other languages, a word means one thing. So if I want to understand this, I need to go back into the Hebrew, which was the original language the Old Testament was written in. So when I look at the Old Testament, when I look at the Hebrew, I'm looking, if this is an accurate translation, I'm looking for the words companion or associate or friend or assistant or helper I'm looking to see if that's, if that's there. So 
in Hebrew, if, if God said, I'm going to make for him an assistant, or if God said, I'm going to make for him a companion, a friend, a colleague, the word would have been Shaber or Aji or Yadida. Those are words in Hebrew for those, for those terms. But those aren't the words that are listed in this translation. Adam looked at her and said, I'm going to call her woman. I'm going to call her wife. And if that's what God said, then in Hebrew, we would see the word Isha or Ishti. But those aren't the words used in Hebrew either. If, if God said, I'm going to make for him a helper to assist him, I'm going to make an assistant, then the word would be Ozer, O-Z-E-R. And the connotation is, I can do this myself. You're just here to assist me. You assisting me is help for me, but I could really do this on my own. That word is ozer. The word in Hebrew that God used was azer. Not O-Z-E-R, E-Z-E-R. And azer in Hebrew is a helper who protects me. A helper who defends me. A helper who rescues me sometimes from myself, a helper who fights for me. It's a military term. Remember what Pastor Joel said last week about the Proverbs 31 woman? Who can find a woman so valiant? It's a military term. They thought they they had a military mindset, ladies and gentlemen, because for 4,000 years of the Old Testament, all they did was fight wars and be slaves. And so that, their, their language reflected their, their lives, their livelihood. God said she is an Azer, and he used another word. He said Azer Konegdo. Konegdo means alongside. It's like looking into a mirror and seeing your reflection. And, and what you see back to you is your equal. So God was saying, I'm going to create for him a a helper who's a warrior, who is his equal, who is designed to protect him and rescue him. And when when God showed me this, my first thought was, protect him from what? I mean, it's Adam and the animals. That's it. They're no threat to him. God had had propped him up and, and told him, hey, name all these animals. Here they come. Name them. Whatever you call them, I call them. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, ladies and gentlemen, but the relationship Adam had with the animals was amazing. When the serpent came up to Eve and said, did God really say? Do you know what Eve did not do? She didn't say, how's an animal talking to me? How's an animal talking to me? And I understand it. How am I talking to an animal and it understands me? So the inference is that that was normal in the garden. Adam wasn't lonely. Can you imagine you understanding what Bo says, Pastor? That's what it was like. 
That's the inference there. So he wasn't lonely. So here's what was going on. Why does he need protection? God said, it's not good for this guy to be alone because I know what's out there. I know who's out there waiting for him. The person out there waiting for him, I saw him split heaven apart. I saw him convince a third of the angels who I created, who knew me face to face for eons. I saw him convince them that he was better than me. I saw him convince them to go to war with me. I saw him bring war to heaven. And Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. One minute Satan was in there causing all of his chaos in heaven and the next minute Jesus said, enough. And when Jesus said, E, Lucifer and his angels were still there. When Jesus finished saying enough, they were gone. <laughs> he fell like, like lightning. And God said, that's who's out there waiting for you. Not good for him to be alone. It's not an indictment of him not being strong. It's not that he's weak. But I saw millions of my angels fall to this guy's lies. I'm not going to leave him alone. Therefore, I will make for him an Azair and put her connecto to him. I will make for him a helper who isn't here to do his laundry, who isn't here to cook, who isn't here to, do, to be a good housewife. She's here to protect him. What did you say last week, Pastor? She thinks differently than we do. She, and and, and God, God didn't say, I need another him. He said, I need something, someone different than him. Someone who has something he doesn't have. And I'm going to put her equal to him so that as he has the dominion mandate in this kingdom, she's alongside him not to help him as an assistant, but to protect him and to defend him from what I know is out there waiting for him. Does this make sense? Now, if I'm Satan, if I'm the enemy, I know exactly what God said. And that's the problem a lot of times. He, God, Satan knows what God has said. He always wants to come to us and, and find out, do we know what God has said? I know what God said. I know he said it's not good for this guy to be alone. Why? Because God sees me out there. And she is God's solution. Her, equal to him as his protector, is God's solution. I'm vulnerable against this. He's vulnerable like this. Therefore, as Satan, I am going to make it my mission from now until hell freezes over to demean her, to devalue her, to demote her, to belittle her, and finally make sure she takes the blame for what I'm getting ready to do here in the garden. Because if she takes the blame, I know he won't allow her to be his equal. 
He'll push her down. This is all about the kingdom, ladies and gentlemen. God didn't bring these two together so that they'd be happy, so they'd have this great sex life, so that the kids would be wonderful, so that the bank account would be great. That's icing on the cake. But the cake is the kingdom. The reason he's put them together, there's a kingdom mandate, and Satan knows this. And so he wants to take this and turn it into this. What is Adam now? He's alone again. He's vulnerable. And Satan is perfectly fine with this, but never this. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan is perfectly fine with this, but not this. And now you start to understand, ladies and gentlemen, why Satan is perfectly fine with this. Where's the defender? She's not there. You understand why he's perfectly fine with this? Where's the dominion mandate? It's not here. This, this has nothing to do with morality. This has nothing to do with laws and, and all of that. It has to do with the kingdom. And God has put these two together as equals for a kingdom reason. And Satan knows that, and he wants this darn kingdom. He got kicked out of that kingdom. Now he's here. He wants this kingdom, and he knows God said, this is a problem, so if I'm Satan, I want to keep him like this. That's what happened in the garden. And watch how he pulled this off. Watch how he pulled this off. Pastor Adam, can I borrow you and Pastor Sarah for a sec? And Pastor Adam, you just stay over there. Just stay over there for a sec. So I'm Satan. I catch her off by herself. And I say, hey, looking good. And then Adam's over here saying, wait, he coming on to my wife? <laughs> here in church, right in front of me? I'm Satan, that's what I do. <laughs> So I say to her, hey, did God really say you can't eat anything here? And she says, no, 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 that's not what God said. God said, I can eat anything I want. We can have whatever we want except the tree right here in the middle. If we eat from this tree or if we touch it, we'll die. And as pastor so eloquently spoke last week, that's when Satan knew he had her. Because she's adding words to what God said. He says, well, you don't know what God said. This, this, this is great. Watch what he does. He calls God a liar. You're not going to die. You're going to be like God. Really? Why did he say that? What did he want? He was in heaven. He got kicked out of heaven for wanting to be like the most high. So now that's what he's offering her. You'll be like God. You'll know both good and evil. He told her the truth. I mean, he told her a lie you're not going to die, then he hid it with truth. You'll gain knowledge of both good and evil. That's a classic deception, a lie hidden by truth. She didn't see the lie. She only saw the truth. How do we know? Because the Bible, the next verse says, when she saw the fruit and it looked what? Good. And desired what? The wisdom, the knowledge that would come from it. She bought into what I said, hook, line, and sinker. That's when she ate. She grabbed it, ate. Then she comes over here and says, Adam, where are you, babe? Where are you, babe? 
Some, some denominations, I've heard this preached, believe that when she gives him the fruit, he doesn't even know which tree it came from. <laughs> all, all he knows is she's given him fruit. She's his companion. She's not going to hurt me. He eats the fruit. Then all of a sudden, their eyes are open. And she, and she looks at him and says, hi, baby. <laughs> and he looks and says, hey, mommy. <laughs> Come on, how do you think they got in the bushes? <laughs> Come on, we got, we, got to, we got to make some fun out of this because this is dark. This is dark. She gives it to him, he eats. That's what we think happened. Here's what really happened. Come back over here, Sarah. Come over here, Adam. The next four words of that story say this. She gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. He was standing right next to her. So this is what really happened. Satan doesn't approach Eve. He approaches Adam and Eve. Who does he want to blame? Her. That's why he's addressing all of the questions to her. Did God really say you can't eat anything here? Where was she when God gave that instruction? She was still right here. She's still a rib inside Adam. So who should answer this question? He should. What does he say? Nothing. So she answers best she can, and she answers wrongly. She answers incorrectly. She says, I can't even touch it. He heard what God said. What does he say then? Nothing. Now I'm Satan. I'm saying, oh, this is too good to be true. She doesn't know what God said, and he, I don't know what he's doing. He's just a mute statue. I'm going in for the kill. I'm going to call God a liar. You're not going to die. What does he say? Nothing. You're going to become like God. What does he say? Nothing. She reaches for the fruit. What does he do? Does he knock it out of her hand? Does he say, babe, don't do that. We're not supposed to eat this. What does he do? Nothing. What, she pulls the fruit to her lips. What does he do? Nothing. She eats, gives to him, he eats. Yet this is all her fault. That's what deception looks like, ladies and gentlemen. And an entire religion has been built on a hidden lie. Why? Because together as equals with her as his protector, they're unstoppable. What did God say? In, what did he say in Deuteronomy? One can put a thousand to flight, but two could put ten thousand to flight. Satan's no idiot. He wants to reduce this to one. And every weapon Satan uses is a lie, a distortion, a deception, a misrepresentation. Every single one of his weapons. Thanks so much, Father. Thank you. It gets worse 
Because now God enters into the garden. God walks in. You have to understand, he's not angry. God is in daddy mode right now. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, Georgina and I, my wife Georgina, let's say that we're watching television in the living room out of the corner of our eyes. We have, t- we have some kids and we see a soccer ball fly out of nowhere. And what do we say? Hey, stop kicking that ball here in the house. We know our kids, so we're, st- we're watching TV, but we're kind of glancing over there. And sure enough, we see one of the kids kick the ball, it hits a lamp, falls over, the lamp shatters. We get up, we walk over to the kids, we say, we, we, we say two words. What are those two words? What happened? We know what happened. But this is a teaching moment. This is a teaching moment with our kids. In the same way, when God is walking into the garden, he already knows what happened. And it's not that he just now saw it. Ephesians chapter one says, before the foundation of the world, before God even made the universe, he saw us, fell in love with us, saw us fall. He and Jesus came up with this elaborate, incredible plan to redeem us, adopt us into the family through Jesus' blood. And once Jesus said, yep, I'll do it, God said, good, let there be light. So before God said, let there be light, he already saw what was happening in the garden. So he's not walking in all surprised, like, well, what happened? He knows his kids have fallen. He wants to know how far they have fallen. Because when I make a mistake, I can do one of two things. I can take responsibility or I can take offense. I can can be accountable or I can blame. God asked Adam, did you eat the fruit I commanded you not to eat. And all Adam had to do was say yes. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I froze. I, 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 was, I was right there. I was paralyzed. I don't, I'm sorry. I, can you forgive me? I don't know what I was thinking, but I know you saw her eat the apple first. I know you saw her eat the fruit first, but it's not her fault. I was right there. I could have stopped this nonsense at any time. Please don't blame her. She's the greatest thing you've ever given me. And if he had said that, if he had taken that approach, do you know what God would have turned to said to Eve? Nothing. No reason to. Because the man he made responsible has taken responsibility. But since he didn't, Just, just, just think of this, ladies and gentlemen. If he had just said yes, God would have taken Adam and Eve by the hand, walked them to the garden, to the edge, and said, I told you if you eat this fruit, you're gonna die. You're not gonna live forever. And I'm a God of my word. You see that tree right there? That's the tree of life. If you eat from that fruit, you'll live forever. But I can't allow you to live forever anymore because you, you broke the one rule. Therefore, we're gonna go. 
but I want you to turn around. You see how beautiful and lush it is? You see how everything just burst out? That's the way it's gonna be out there too. It's not gonna fight against you. It's gonna be work, but it's gonna be worth it. It's not gonna fight you. And I want you to go have sex. I want you to have lots of kids, have a lot of fun. And, and Eve, it's not gonna hurt. You've seen the animals give birth. They just, they just plop and go. <laughs> That's the way it was supposed to be. But because of his response, everything changed. This, some people believe that the curses that God came up with were because they ate the fruit. No, because if, if the curses are because he, they ate the fruit, then God's a liar. He's a liar of omission because he didn't tell them the whole truth. If, they, if, if his plan all along, if they ate the fruit, was to make sure they died, curse the ground against them, bring, bring, bring pain during childbirth, have her want to control him, have him rule over her, then he should have told them. But he didn't tell them because that wasn't his original intent. God's not a liar. So you have to see this. God said, did you eat the fruit? I told you not to eat Adam. And instead of taking responsibility, Adam says, the woman. He blames the woman that you gave me. Then he blamed God. He didn't have to say that you gave me. He could have just left it at the woman ate first, gave to me, and I ate. God would have been disappointed. But he said, the woman you gave me, she was your bright idea, not mine. I didn't ask for her. Now God's ticked. <laughs> Blame me. And now he looks at Eve because Adam has just said, Adam had stones, sir. I mean, he, Adam didn't say, hey, this is, as much, this is as much your fault as it is mine. He said, this is as much your fault as it is hers. But this is not my fault. Don't blame me. I'm not responsible. So God looks at her not because he wanted to, not because he had planned to, but because the man he made responsible told him to. Don't hold me responsible, hold her. Now she's in full freak mode. She's panicking because the man that she's always known to, to be there for her has just thrown her under the bus and backed it up a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and so God says, is this true? What did you do? the serpent. So Adam blames her and God. She blames an animal. That's how far they've fallen. <laughs> I joked the first service, she's the first human in planet Earth to use the excuse, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> I'm gonna blame an animal. And now God's angry. Listen to what he says. He says, Adam, I didn't ask you what she did. I asked you what you did. 
But you want to make it about her? Fine, we'll make it about her. Since you listen to her instead of me, cursed is the ground. Thorns and thistles are going to grow. And you're going to work and sweat all of the days of your life. Dust you came from, dust you're going to return. Who he's ticked. And then he says to the woman, I'm going to greatly multiply your pain and childbirth and child rearing. And it's, it goes, it goes beyond, beyond just giving birth to the kids. You're going to have pain raising these kids. They're going to rebel against you. They're going to fight. They're going to murder each other. Think what they ushered in. This is, what God, this is why God got so angry. Because we ushered in a mindset of blame instead of just taking responsibility. And isn't that what's wrong with this country today, ladies and gentlemen? What's wrong with America? Well, it's those brown people on the southern border. It's those black people who can't get over being slaves. It's those white people who don't understand what it's been like. It's those pro-life people who want to control my life. It's these pro-choice people who are killing babies. It's these people who are wearing masks. It's these people who refuse to wear a mask. It's these people who got a shot. It's these people who refuse to get a shot. We just blame everybody. It's those Christians. It's those Muslims. It's those Jews. Somehow God's people, the Jews, have always taken the brunt of it. Tragic story, funny but tragic. One of our politicians, this isn't isn't about politics, but one of our politicians actually said that the California wildfires are started by space lasers. But not just any space laser, Jewish space lasers. (laughs) Because everything Satan does, what? Divides. That's his intention always. Adam, think of it like this, ladies and gentlemen. I I always struggle with this because I don't want to be too hard on him. But, but, But Colin, my son over there, is the bass player. And imagine Colin at five years old. And Colin is next to me, and we're standing in the yard. And he says, Daddy, let's throw rocks through our neighbor's window. And I, I don't do anything. I don't say anything. And, and, and he says, Daddy, let's throw rocks through. And he reaches down and pick up, picks up a rock, and I do nothing. And he rears back and throws the rock through the window, and sure enough, it shatters. And then he reaches down and, gives, and, and picks up another rock and gives it to me, and I take the rock, and I throw it through the window, and it shatters. Now, sure enough, the owner comes out saying, what happened? And I say, my son... that's what Adam did in the garden that's what God got God so angry yet we think this is all Eve's fault here's what Satan wants to do in the chessboard in the garden God put a king What's the most powerful piece on the chessboard? Next to him, God put a queen to protect him. And he's there. No matter where the queen is on the board, she's one step, one move from sweeping back in to protect him. 
because she can move any number of spaces, any direction. She's the only piece that can do that. Satan wants you and I, gentlemen, to take our queen and exchange her for a pawn. He wants us to take the most powerful piece on the board and exchange it for the weakest piece on the board. And those of you who know chess, what do we do with a pawn? We sacrifice them. We toss them away without a second thought because I got seven other pawns on the board. That's how insignificant she is. That's what Satan wants us to think. She's just here to help you. And you got lots of other help here. It is a massive deception that works. The good news is that Jesus came, praise God, and broke the curse of sin and death. Paul said this to the Galatians. He said, Christ has redeemed us from the sin, from the curse of the sin of law and death. He said in his his letter to the Romans, he said, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for they have been set free from the curse. Condemnation and curse are semantically in English, semantically equivalent. So Paul was saying, therefore, there's no curse for those who are in Christ Jesus. The curse is broken. But in his greatest deception yet, Satan has got the Christian church to keep the curse that Christ broke in effect. Message after message preached about the woman's place is here. She's just here to help. She's just an assistant. And where did the church get this from? From the same guy who said the curse is broken, Paul. That's how, that's what deception looks like. Don't, don't make, don't, this is not intended to make you look down on Paul. Paul was a great man, but not a perfect man. Just like Abraham. God God makes sure that their foibles, their, their issues are wide open for us to see if we'll only see with good eyes. Paul was, Timothy was having an issue with, with the women in the church. They were dressing extravagantly. They, they were, I don't even know how to say it in church, but they, they were dressing suggestively. I'll just say that. And they were standing up, speaking wrong doctrine, the same wrong doctrine that their husbands were teaching. And Paul's solution said, sit them down. I don't allow a woman, I don't, I don't allow a woman to teach. He didn't say God doesn't allow a woman to teach. He didn't say Christ doesn't allow a woman to teach. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ had lots of women followers and Christ had no problem telling these women, go tell the men this. Three of, three of Christ's biggest financial supporters, Joanna, Susanna, and Mary Magdalene, women. The, the women of, that, of this age loved Christ because Christ preached a broken curse. Christ told them the first shall be last and the last shall be first. They saw a reversal of their position coming. 
So Paul to Timothy says, I don't allow a woman to curse, a woman to teach, because man came first, and man was not deceived. It was woman who was deceived and sinned. Is that true? We saw just, just a moment ago, that's not what happened. But that's what deception looks like, ladies and gentlemen. It is hard. There are some women here who are widowed or divorced or single. You're still Isaiah's. God still put in your DNA this drive and desire to protect and to defend and to fight for what's important. That's why single moms have a strength other people can't imagine because that need to defend that kid, that need to protect those children kicks in because it's in their DNA. They think differently than we do. In 2016, I started, uh, I started having health issues. Um, I started, every time I urinated, I would bleed. And sometimes I couldn't urinate. Very painful. Went to the doctor, um, and they, they gave me a diagnosis. And remember, babe, thank God, they said, it's not cancer. So we were happy. But it stuck, with, it stuck with me for two years. Sorry. Stuck with me for two years. And then in 2018, I got frustrated. We went to another doctor. And um, I walk into the doctor's office. He's already done blood work on me. And he says, uh, I need you to take your pants off. And I said, well, you know, you're going to buy me dinner first. You don't just talk to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a proud black man. You got to do more than that. <laughs> So remember, babe, I, I take my pants off, and um, I, I, I hop up on the, uh, on, on, on the table, and uh, Nurse Ratchet comes in with this long tube. It's a long tube. has a little scope camera on it, and, uh, and then she has a syringe. And I said, what are you doing with that syringe? And she says, well, we're going to inject something up you so that you don't feel this. And I'm saying, well, what are you going to do about this? I'm going to feel this. And, and right about then, my Isaiah, my wife, gives me this look, and all women know this look. It's a look that just says, I wish you could have a baby just once. <laughs> so she goes about doing that, and then Dr. Uh, Dr. Shivani comes in, remember, babe? And he, and, he, and, he, and he says, okay, we're getting ready to get started. I'm going to go look at the YouTube video to see how to do this. <laughs> see, she, she laughed just like you're laughing. I didn't think it was funny. I got this tube run, run up me. I, I, this was not funny at all. He comes back a few minutes later, and they had diagnosed me with, this, with, a, with a, a stricture, which, which means in my urinary tract, it, it narrows, and which is why the urine couldn't get through, okay? And so he, he rams this tube up me, and he hits the stricture, and, and I let out a few choice words. <laughs> and... and, and, and he, he, remember, babe, as God is my witness, he's holding on to me. 
And he tells, he tells the nurse, hey, nurse, come in here. She runs in, and he says, God is my witness. Here, hold this like you mean it. <laughs> Got to get the full story here. <laughs> so she holds on, and he just rams through. More words come out of my mouth. And then he says those words to Georgina. Do you want to see it? There's the cancer. Stage three, bladder cancer, prostate cancer. He told me that with this fast-growing tumor, uh, my five-year chances of survival were 70%. What the enemy did is he came on my shoulder and he said, what he really means to say, Kevin, is your five-year death rate is 30%. I'm in trouble. What followed then, they, they did a procedure on me, took out as much of the tumor as they could, and then put me through 12 rounds of chemotherapy. My hair fell out. My nice brown skin turned gray. Not a good look for a black man. <laughs> nausea. I can't even describe the nausea ringing in the ears that I still have today, headaches, blurred vision that I still have today, neuropathy in my right foot that I still have today. I'll be walking along, Georgina, I'll be walking along. I don't feel this foot most of the time, and all of a sudden I'm on the ground because I don't feel it. And, and, and Georgina tells me, we need to get you a helmet. <laughs> They gutted me open, took out my bladder, took out my prostate. The bladder's no longer there, so the urine has to have somewhere to go. So they took part of my small intestine, my small intestine and made a new bladder. But the urine has to go somewhere for there, so they cut a little hole and popped a bag on me. Said, off you go. And the last five years have been hell, I'll tell you. But I don't tell you this to, to make you feel sorry for me, don't. I tell you this story so that you understand when I tell you I didn't need a helpmate. I didn't need an assistant. I didn't need a housewife. I didn't need someone to cook. I needed a warrior. I needed a protector. I needed my Azair. And that's who God gave me in my wife, Georgina. You, you, if, if you've never had cancer, here's what it's like. You're in a dinghy on the ocean. You're only 100 yards from shore. You can see the shoreline, but you can't get there because the storm is raging too high. There's waves crashing. There's wind. There's lightning. There's thunder. I can't, I can't make it. And I saw all of my friends and loved ones and family on the shoreline encouraging me, telling me, Kevin, you can do this. My kids, Dad, you can do this. Dad, don't give up. I saw my pastors, Kevin, we're praying for you. Everything's going to be okay. I saw all of the people who loved me and I loved on that shoreline except my wife. Because from the moment the doctor said, there's the cancer, my wife launched herself into the surf and swam through the ocean, through the wind, through the waves, through the storm, climbed into the boat, said, I've got this, babe. 
and started bailing water. And she brought me home. All of this because of my Azer. Before the foundation of the world, God saw me. He saw what I was going to go through. He saw what the enemy had planned for me. And he said, it's not good for Kevin to do this alone. He can't do it. So I'm going to make for him a strong warrior. Bring her alongside him as his equal. And she's going to defend him. She's going to protect him. She'll get him home. I give honor to my wife for what she did when I needed her the most. And I, my prayer for you, for you guys out there is to understand this. There's going to come a day when your courage is not enough. Where your strength is not enough. Where your faith is not enough. I hope you have allowed your Azer to be an Azer. I hope she knows you expect her to be her, your protector. Because otherwise, it's a dark, dark road out there. In the most bitter irony of all, Satan has convinced men that what God intended to be our protector is a threat to us, is a threat to my masculinity, is a threat to my leadership. It's brutal, and it has worked. Georgina and I work because of this revelation that God gave us, that we are equals. We're not the same, but we're equals walking out this kingdom mandate. I'm the offensive coordinator. I've got the dominion mandate. She's the defensive coordinator because she's my protection. When the offense is on the field, I call the plays. When the defense is on the field, she calls the plays. And we hand off to each other without even asking or thinking about it. 28 years does that for you. But we both realize that neither one of us are in charge. God is in charge. God is the head coach. We're just the coordinators. And because we realize that, God can come to me and give me revelation and I can go give her instructions. And God can come to her and give her revelation and come give me instructions and I don't take offense. That's how it's supposed to work if you can expose this hidden lie. God is the head coach. We're just the coordinators. In, in, in fact, be, because God owns all of this anyway, he made all of this. God is the owner, the general manager, and the head coach, just like Jerry Jones always wanted to be. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.